Good morning, ladies. How is everybody? Y'all doing okay? I think it's God's sweet provision that these are always on Fridays because it's like you made it. You know what I mean? Like you're there. You're there and the hard part of the week is gone and we are now in the sweet time. Um, Okay, I'm going to start my time. We're going to see if this video will play. If it doesn't, then I'll just explain it. It's super cute. The calf. of babies crying, (laughs) which is so cute. But the reason I show you that is because who in this world does better than a baby at expressing their displeasure, sorrow, or grief? No one, right? Like y'all are thinking now literally of one of your children, I can tell you're like that one. That one does better than all the babies in the world. Um, But I start with that because somewhere along the line, when our frontal lobe starts to close and we're developing, we go from not governing our emotions to sometimes over-governing our emotions. And even if we learn to control them, we still feel it. We feel grief, we feel pain, we feel sorrow, and we feel sadness. And um, yay, that's what I'm gonna talk about this morning. (laughs) I'm gonna talk about grief, and I'm gonna talk about sorrow and how to handle Um, godly sorrow in the throes of motherhood. Um, So let's start by defining grief. Um, We define grief from Merriam-Webster as deep and poignant stress caused by or as if by bereavement. And so even in Merriam-Webster, the definition for grief is associated around death. Um, Totally Totally, the the primary highway of grief is grieving the death of a loved one. Um, But as I've kind of delved into this and studied a little bit more, there are lots of different kinds of grief that are centered around the concept just of loss. And so they include things like um, estrangement, so being lost or separated from someone, financial or worldly losses, relinquishment, that one's interesting as a mom, uh, institutional losses. And so this morning, if you'll allow me, I'm going to use some of those words kind of interchangeably. I'm going to use the words grief, sorrow, disappointment, sadness, regret, loss, kind of interchangeably, even though we can acknowledge right now there's a difference between like suffering for the sake of the gospel and grieving the loss of a loved one, right? And so we're going to take a little bit of license to just allow ourselves to pour all of it into that pot. Um, And I think to do that... What I want to say first is I want to say your sorrow is incredibly unique. And it's unique to you and it's unique to the fact that God is allowing you specifically at whatever time, at whatever place to go through what he's allowing you to go through. So I just want to validate that this morning. Um, And now I'm going to ask you um, to be brave because this is kind of a family atmosphere. And I think we should share with each other 
If anybody's going through something that is um, a period of grieving or a period of kind of deep dissatisfaction, so I'm going to have, we've got some gals who are going to, oh, gals, Martha and Mel, are going to run around with the microphones. And if you're feeling, feeling brave, would you just share with us um, a couple things that are going on in your life right now that might be hard? Martha has another giveaway for who goes first. She t- oh, Alejandra. You get a cup of coffee. I, don't know. I see you. I'm coming. You get an extra sausage biscuit. Um, I think for me, it has been um, several miscarriages in the last year. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's so hard. Who else? Did you want to share? <laughs> I saw your hand, you but saw maybe the spirit. You wanted the giveaway. Yeah, it's over. Oh, oh, I see that. <laughs> Who else? Oh, I can share. Okay. My kids all went to school within the last two years, and that was, that was tough. Yeah. I felt like I didn't really know how to be a mom anymore. Right. Losing that control and those hours with them. Who else? Way to be brave. So I work with families experiencing perinatal loss, so it can be really tough not to take uh, that mm-hmm. grief on and try mm-hmm. and support people um, who are going through bereavement themselves. Wow, that's, that's nuanced, isn't it? Thank you for sharing. Let's do a few more. You're gonna get real in here. Down here, we got come one, in, come brave in. lady. I am grieving the loss of my ministry partner as my husband has stepped away from his faith. And so it's changed the way our family looks. Is that recent? I'm so sorry. Thank you for entrusting us with that. Ugh. Okay. We've had... Uh, trauma in our life that we didn't, we didn't, we've known something was there, but we didn't know what it was. And so we've been struggling. A couple of kids, one kid especially with depression, we're going on year 15, started when he was 10. And um, so the great thing is knowing a little bit more, but the grief around it has been so significant because my soul is at peace because God has walked us so beautifully through it. But the bouts of grief have been surprising to me. Yeah. And quite frankly, I mean, I went to a counselor this week to help with it because your mind disassociates when it's extreme. And I was like, I'm not okay. Yeah. And so um, sorrow, is a, sorrow is worth talking about. I'm really glad you're talking about it today because it's real and it's nothing it's bad. It's, it's not bad. It's just a part of being a human. You know? And I don't know about y'all. If you've been around here a while, you may have to remind yourself of that just a little bit because we are in such a beautiful way, a storm the next hill kind of church, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, But we also need to remind ourselves that we're a tend to our wounded kind of church too. And so um, thank you all so much for just being brave to share and for all the things that you didn't share. God sees them, he hears them, and he knows. And um, you're seen this morning. And also, if you're not going through grief this morning, if you're kind of like, oh, shoot, it's a heavy morning and I'm actually doing pretty great. <laughs> like, that's, that is wonderful because take the time now 
to build up this rock-solid theology so that the next time the storm comes, you're going to be ready for it with an arsenal of just like battery after battery of fighting off because it will come again, right, Um, if it hasn't in a while. And so this morning we're going to talk about um, godly grief. And I know we all wish that grief... Um, would look like the picture that's on the left side of this next slide. Like, okay, I know like the five to seven stages of grief. It's denial and then it's anger and I get mad and then I get sad and then I like try to talk my way out of it and then find, but it really looks more like the one on the right, doesn't it? That's really relieving to me because I think it's uniquely Christian to like not be sad, which is wrong. <laughs> like that's just everything in, in my personality. I don't like leaning into sadness. But one of the things I want to do this morning too is just give us permission to be sad and to grieve, even if the spiritual, emotionally mature person in us goes very quickly to justify or invalidate the sad feelings that we're having. Now, they don't need to be in the front seat of our car. They don't need to be driving but they can be with us and we can acknowledge them. And so um, the reason that I think that this is important is because God cares about your grief and because at some point in time, we're gonna all encounter it. And if we don't learn to first identify it and acknowledge it and process it and progress through it, because there is no going around it, I've tried, then um, we might end up in a place where we're stuck and bitter and resentful. And, and I don't want that for this group of women because I know that you all who were so close on that mouse to be able to like click to register, you care about God's will in your life. You're not just here to fill a Friday morning. You want to live for God. And if you guys are living stuck or embittered or resentful, then we're losing ground as a body that's trying to show a hoping world that there's hurt, that there's help. Uh, did I, I totally switched that, didn't I? <laughs> We're trying to show a hurting world that there's hope in Christ. And so the first, I'm going to do four points this morning. We're going to do two first, take a break and talk about them, and then we'll do the second two. So the first one I want to talk about is that grief is a given. Grief is a given. John 16, 33. Um, This is such a beautiful chapter in John. We've just been studying it in women's Bible study. It's the the kind of the high priestly prayer where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to leave and it's going to get really hard for you. And you're going to have to endure suffering and hardship for my name. And um, one of the things he says towards the end in 16 is he says, I have said things, these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus himself is guaranteeing that in this world you're going to endure hardship. And it's a promise in Scripture, right? Because Jesus himself said it. And I don't know about you guys, but the way I grew up in like Southern Bible Belt Christianity is, was a very much a man-centered gospel. And so I'll tell you what I mean when I say that. What I was told when I was growing up, and it was not on purpose trying to mislead me, but it was like, hey, you have got a God-shaped hole in your heart that nothing else can fill. And so you can try and fill it with life and boys and achievements and athletics and nothing's going to fit. But when God fits in it, everything will come together and your life will be happy, wealthy, healthy, and whole. And I don't know, was anybody else taught that when you were growing up? I was taught that. I was taught um, what I should have been taught. Do you all wish you could go back to some of your Sunday school teachers? What I should have been taught is what Ray Comfort talks about when he talks about 
um, becoming a believer and evangelism. And uh, there's a book he wrote called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, which is a really fun read. Um, He tells it like, hey, this guy is on an airplane, and he goes on the airplane, and he's being told by the stewardess, hey, if you just wear this really huge, cumbersome life jacket, it's going to make your ride so much more comfortable, so much better. Um, You're going to not regret it, I promise. And so he kind of awkwardly puts on this ginormous life vest. You know the ones that they're like, you're like, you know. And he's on the airplane, and he spills his hot coffee in his lap. And he's like, whoa. Where was the life vest helping me out with that? And then slowly people start to kind of make fun of him and kind of ridicule him. Well, why are you wearing the, why are you wearing a life? We're in an airplane, dude. And so what he ends up doing is because of what he was told initially, he throws off the life vest, frustrated, surely to never pick it up again. Then he goes, scene two. What he should have been told is, sir, the plane is actually going down. It will go down in a matter of Time, we don't know exactly when or how long, but it is going down. This is the thing that will save you. And so it's going to be a bumpy ride. It's going to be hard as hell. But you keep this on and you'll be safe. That's the gospel. Not hellfire and damnation, but like the gospel is in this world, we're going to have trouble, but there is a savior who can tell us to take heart because he has overcome the world. That's the truth that we get to cling to. So what would have happened, what happened to me might not have happened. Who knows? But if, if we tell people, hey, the world's going to be hard. The world's not going to understand you. Jesus himself said the world will hate you. But if we have the truth and the character of Christ deeply set within our hearts, then it won't matter because we know what we're holding on to. And so a healthy theological view of grief is to recognize that grief is a given. Um, Grief is given. And so in sixth grade, up until sixth grade, my life was like, I grew up with parents who loved Jesus. We were in a place where we were free to worship Jesus. I had only one brother. Like life, you know, those golden years, like eight, nine, ten. It's the years that my kids are in right now that where they like, y'all, you're almost there. If some of you are there and you know what I'm talking about, they like each other. They can wipe their bottoms. (laughs) They can buckle their own seatbelts. And y'all, they can shower themselves. Can I get a, when will be the day? (laughs) Y'all, it is, I mean, I hate to say it if you're in the throes, it's so much better (laughs) than the newborn and toddler years. Now, some people love the newborn and toddler years. But when I kind of hit sixth grade, um, I kind of started to kind of have struggles with friends and people who I was making a decision to follow after Christ and they didn't want to. And so kind of some of that early persecution for wanting to follow after Jesus. And then a big moment came my senior year in high school. And my senior year in high school, in a span of a month and a half, I had a dear friend of mine that I had um, played basketball with commit suicide. She took her own life. Um, And then after that, my K-Life leader, who had had a huge impact on my walk with Jesus, was in a car crash with his wife, his father-in-law, and his um, newborn daughter or she was several months old. And his wife and his father-in-law died immediately. And it was just him and his child. And he sustained major, major head damage. Um, Literally, someday you got to hear the whole story, but literally the first person to show up on the scene was um, an EMT that literally held his head together until the rest of the paramedics could get there. And so 
then shortly after that, a little girl um, that was the younger sister of a boy that I was really good friends with, we were kind of our first crush together, um, who shared my name, died of cancer. And I just remember, y'all, in that moment, my happy-go-lucky life of me and, me and God was like drowned in, in a second. And all of a sudden, I was... I had no governor for this God that would tell me that he was good, but then allow really, really, really hard things to happen. And so I had this, my very, probably my very first true turning point of, or fork in the road of, okay, this happened and God, you say you're going to, you're going to be good. And so I'm either going to choose to trust that or I'm going to choose to get, get pretty mad at you and potentially walk away from this thing that I think I've given my life to. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, um, I chose to lean in. And it was there that God taught me the truth that comes from Psalm 34, 18, where he says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so I just want to ask you this morning, if for those of you, especially for those of you that were so brave to share, how are you doing at, at working through your suffering and your pain. How are you doing? Um, Did your suffering and sorrow take you by surprise? Have you been surprised by how lonely you are in motherhood? Have you been surprised by your reaction to this consistent, constant sacrifice that your time is absolutely in every way no longer your own? The concept of showering alone, pooping alone, very foreign concepts. Always got a buddy. You know, always. They could be across the house and you're sitting down to poop and they're like, mama. I mean, everything, right? Every single time. But I want to ask, are you surprised by it? Are you surprised by how jealous you get when your husband leaves the house? Are you surprised um, at how hard it's been? Y'all, two of my three babies, if we lived on the Western Prairie, would have killed me. (laughs) Truly, literally, like I would have bled out. And God bless Western medicine. And I'm even one of those crunchy granolas that taught natural childbirth. And I'm still so thankful that they could sew my body back up again so that I wouldn't die. That came as a shock to me, right? That wasn't something that was like, oh, these are the things that I'm processing as I become a new mom. Like, what if I lose a third of my blood and walk out of the hospital pale as a ghost and I can't produce um, breast milk? And then I'm supposed to take care of this person. I wasn't ready for that. That was a surprise to me. And so I just wonder, are there surprises that have happened with you in motherhood? Somehow the combination of being able to, if you're in a position where you're working, but you're also being a mom, how has that been? Has it been surprising? Has it been hard? If you're in a position where you're not working and you wish you were, how's that going? How are you handling it? So I just think it's an important question to sit and ask ourselves because I think when we do, we get to the point where we think, um, not in a depressing or morose way, but that when we learn that grief is a given, the sooner we learn that, the sooner we can be reminded that God cares about our grief. And that's the whole point of this morning is God cares about your grief. He cares. So not only is grief a given, but also grief is a gift. Um, this point feels almost audacious to say. So I, I want you to know, I know what I'm saying when I say that. Um, and I don't know what you guys have been through this morning. There, some of you probably that have been through the hardest stuff probably didn't share. Um, you could have lost 
multiple children, a parent, a friend, a spouse, you've been betrayed by a best friend, um, you've endured or are enduring a broken marriage, you've strived with a child that just won't make the right choices. Um, and the concept of grief as a gift might make you want to punch me in the face a little bit, and that's okay. Um, Paul took an interesting view of how he saw this hardship that we're walking through. Um, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, um, it's in 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to start in verse 16. You know, many of you probably know it. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So literally, think about that. Put your mind at what Paul's talking about. He's literally talking about every hard thing that you've ever been through. And he has the audacity to call it light and momentary. You talk about punching me in the face. That makes me want to punch him in the face a little bit. Do you have no concept of what it is that I'm going through? And the reality is, y'all, he kind of did. Earlier, he says, alludes to it in 4, 8 through 9. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken. He's not just giving some kind of aspirational instruction. He knew pain. And his kind of pain-suffering resume, oh, I put first right there. That's wrong. It's second. Just so you know, if you want to go back and read it later, you'll not find it there. Um, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 29 is kind of his suffering resume. He says five, he received five times 40 lashes less one. So that's 39 lashes, which you all know, if, if you were sentenced to 40 lashes with those cat of, what's it called, cat of nine tails, it would literally strip the skin off your back. So 40 was a guaranteed death. So 40 less one is what Christ endured for us and what Paul endured five different times. Three times beaten with rods, once he stoned, three times he shipwrecked, night and day he's adrift at sea, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, robbers, own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak and I am not Weak. And this is the man that called our afflictions light and momentary. That gives him a little bit of street cred. And that makes me want to listen to him just a little bit more because, friends, there is a rich fruit that grows only in the garden of pain and suffering. It's a special fruit that's not grown anywhere else. And the taste of it is really, really sweet if you cling to the Lord. Um, John Piper said it a little more John Pipery. He said, um, Hey, occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. That's pretty good. The only way Paul could call out our afflictions as light and momentary is that if he really believed the second part of that verse in 17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I want us to take away the idea that grief can be a gift because heaven awaits. That's the only reason, reason that grief can be a gift is because heaven is real and heaven awaits. Um, 
This last year, just to let you in kind of on my journey a little bit, um, it's been tough. I've had kind of a tough year, but it's one of the, been one of those tough years that I, I would compare to my friend and go, well, it's not as bad as her, so it shouldn't really be bad. And I've spiritually invalidated myself. I'm really good at that. And just looking back, um, you know, we had an issue with my brother got really hurt and um, had to have a major surgery and then got COVID and then had a blood clot and spent time in the hospital. And then from October from the year previous through um, January and February, I had just a ton of um, work hardship that felt heavy because there was so much miscommunication, so much misunderstanding of, you know, you know when you're with a friend and you're talking to them and there's literally no way you can hear each other. You're trying so hard. And I actually, y'all, I communicate kind of for a living. That's humbling. <laughs> like we were just in a point where we were talking to each other and not hearing each other. And you take work home with you. You just do. Like it, you're here, I'm here for a lot of hours during the day. And so that was heartbreaking. Um, we had division within our leadership that led to unprecedented changes in our church that affect everybody and continue to be hard. We had, um, for me, my step-grandfather died seven days after his 100th birthday. I'm not 100% sure that he was a believer, even though we shared the gospel with him so many times. Um, later in the spring, my grandmother, who, like, helps me make sense of my life, like, she was my favorite, um, she had a stroke four days after we went to go see her and then passed away in July. In July, my mom, who is my best friend, I completely admit that we have a healthy codependent relationship. Um, she's nothing like me. She's like 5'2 and a buck five, and I don't know why, where I came from, but from her. Um, she spent in and out of the hospital three different weeks with various emergent issues where she kept thinking, oh, we're better. She's back in. She's better. She's back in. Um, and then after my grandmother's passing, that means that her amazing daughter, my amazing Aunt Joni, who has been gifted uh, to walk this earth with some, some special needs mentally, um, but has better heart capacity probably than any of us in this room, um, she needed a new place to live, and she chose to come and live with us. And so um, living with my family and trying to find her a place to live and um, have people treat her with dignity and get her a job um, is not anything other than a, a part-time job, for sure. And so just all, everything that comes with that. And I'm going to tell you, it revealed some really unhealthy coping mechanisms in my life. Because we could look at that and go, like, I, to be honest, I look at that and I'm like, that was hard, but like, kind of like, you're fine. And the reality is, do, have y'all heard of the book, The Body Keeps the Score? Y'all, your frustrating body keeps the score. Like, I would sit down do the thing where I'm about to spend time with Jesus and just start bawling. And I didn't know why. And so you know what I would do? I would immediately get up <laughs> because ain't nobody got time to like cry, like sit and cry. Some of y'all are like, oh, I love the catharsis of crying. I hate it. I hate it. Makes me itchy. Um, but I can, I can honestly tell you, I'm looking at last year and I'm going, last year was a gift. Last year was a gift, and I can even say it with tears in my eyes because it created a need for me to assess how I was dealing with grief and pain and make a change because I was dealing with it in unhealthy ways that were providing unhealthy coping mechanisms for my life. And so um, with that, I want to give you guys a chance just for a little bit to talk 
about this year, and maybe you feel a little bit safer in your tables being honest, I would love, I'm going to have a couple questions that are going to be up here, and um, you don't have to ask yourself this, but I wonder, is your grief a gift yet? (laughs) And if it's not, that is like really okay, because that's not the aim of today, but it is the high aim eventually of our hearts. Um, And then I just want to know if y'all will lay down what you're struggling with. So spend the next few minutes just as a table going through some of these questions. And the one thing I want to tell you is if you felt kind of fiery inside your heart while I've been talking, that's probably something you should share. Galatians 6.1 says, let us bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And so you sharing something this morning, one, you never know what God's going to do with it. And two, it's going to literally allow someone else to be the God of Yeshurun, like it talks about in Deuteronomy, and literally like hold you up and have his everlasting arms be underneath you. So take just a few minutes and share with each other the answers to some of those questions, and I'll be back. Hello. Hi, ladies. <clears throat> hey, if, if I could get my microphone runners back for a second. Um, I didn't tell y'all about this, but I'm doing it. Surprise. I would just love to hear. Here's what I want to hear. I, if you shared something hard, I'm not talking to you. I would love to hear from someone who heard someone else share something hard and has um, like a word of hope to give them. So what I mean by that is I want you, if someone at your table shared something hard, I want you to stand up. You don't have to share what they shared, but you could go, hey, I was super encouraged by Remy, and Remy, this is what I see God doing in your life. I'm so encouraged by you. Would, y'all, would anybody be willing to share and just compliment your sister for uh, being honest and vulnerable? If you want to share what you talked about, you can. But I, I'd love to hear someone share. Hey, someone shared this thing at our table. You don't have to share what it is. And, and I just I want to tell you who you are in Jesus. Give her a compliment. Okay. Bonus points. It's to everybody okay. at the table. But I see um, each one of you. Uh, seeing kind of through the struggle to the cross. Hmm. Wow. Short and effective. Thank you. It's really encouraging. Who else? You go, Kay. (laughs) Thank you, Kay. We just met today. She just volunteered for you. She wants to say something. um, Sam shared and... I just want to encourage you that, like, you are a forerunner for your family, like, for everybody who doesn't know Christ, and, like, she has a beautiful daughter and a husband, and she's, I was a very, very young mom, and the fact that you are pursuing the Lord, I just want you to know that he's coming after you way harder than you are going after him, and it's going to be so good. really sweet. Who else? 
These are too encouraging. I'm super comfy with silence, so we got to keep going. I'm going to keep sitting because I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my best friend and my sister are right beside me, and they both shared hard things that I've gotten to know about throughout doing life with them, um, and they shared about just, like, wanting to avoid them, but I... I know them, and I was encouraged thinking about 2 Timothy 1.7, where it says, For God hath not, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Um, and I see that in them every day and every week, and I um, am just encouraged to hear how they're leaning into the heart. And so I wanted to share that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Let's do another one. I gotcha. <laughs> hey, um, it's Rachel, right? We just met. Um, but Rachel just shared, um, yeah, just how God has uniquely gifted her family to walk um, where nobody really else can go. You have keys to places and people's houses. Um, not literally, <laughs> but just like where God has gifted you and your family. Um, and yeah, just not to spiritually invalidate yourself, like Kelly mentioned, um, it's hard what you're walking through. Oh, isn't it so encouraging to hear truth spoken into your heart? I said it was Galatians 6.1 earlier. It's Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be himself alone. I think um, what's really special about hearing uh, you can do this or you're doing a good job is because it just breathes fresh wind into our souls, and we all need that. We all need it. And so... Um, we went over the first two points. The first one is grief is a what? Anybody remember? Given. The second one is that grief is a gift. The third one, I'm going to start by telling you a story. So I have a dear friend. Her, um, She's got three kids living, two with Jesus. And um, one of them uh, made it to 22 weeks in utero. And then the other one made it to uh, a little over 22 days. Uh, on earth. And this girl has walked through grief um, like no one I've, I've ever seen. It's been the most beautiful thing to be her friend in the midst of this sadness and sorrow. She really is one of my heroes. And, um, but at the same time, she's also an, an LPC, so she is very in touch with how she feels and has all those tools and tricks and tips about all of her emotions. So when she's feeling something, she's also analyzing it at the same time, which would just have to be so annoying, you know, like to, to know or to know what the answer is, but to not yet feel yourself at that place where you have the answer. <clears throat> and so one of the things that she can do, and she would tell you this if she was standing right here, is um, she can use grief like a weapon sometimes. And she can be in a room, and because she's so emotionally mature and so <clears throat> able to understand how she feels, if she's got girls in a room who are talking to her and they're being a little insensitive or um, just frustrating at her at one point, she'll kind of, she can kind of throw in like a, 
yeah, I can see how that's hard. It was also really hard when my two babies died. <laughs> she told me that story the other day. I was like, girl. <laughs> I'm like, did all the oxygen suck out of the room? Like, that is intense. I'm like, you just took, like, your grief like a battle axe and just went, whoa, deal with that, you know? But we can do it, right? Because we, we want to feel that that validation or that maybe that power, I don't, I don't know. And so the third point that I want to make this morning is grief can't govern. Grief cannot be like we talked about in the driver's seat of, of our heart and our emotions and our feelings. Um, when we do that, when we wield our grief like a weapon, we're allowing it to govern us. And grief just shouldn't govern. And what I want to make sure we understand the difference of is um, I'm not saying that grief governing us is the same thing as being overwhelmed by grief, right? Those are two very, very different things. Um, being overwhelmed by sadness and sorrow is like a natural course of life. And scripture not only allows for it, it gives us examples of people who did it well. Like you think of Hannah and First Samuel that's at the temple weeping so desperately for a child that Eli thinks she's drunk. So she is just pouring out her sadness and her sorrow to the Lord. You've got David running from Saul when Saul's supposed to be the one that, that loved him and cared for him and um, how hit, there's so many Psalms of Lament. We have an entire book in the Bible, Lamentations, that gives us a language of grieving. There's a verse in Psalm 31. I'm just going to read a couple lines of it. It says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. Listen to these words. I'm in distress my eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. Can you imagine allowing yourself to write something like that in your journal? My soul is spent with sorrow. If you can't this morning, I hope this is a really good step towards being able to do that. Because, because David did, and, and it's okay for you to. Um, and so it is okay to be overwhelmed by sorrow, suffering, and grief. The difference is just not being governed by it. There's a Chinese proverb that says, you cannot prevent birds of sorrow from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building nests in your hair. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> kind of like, you can't let them hang out and like take, take up shop, right? But they're going to be flying overhead and you may get pooped on. Like that is part of... I take analogies way too far, but that is, that's what's going on in my head when I read that. I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. And so um, I think when we think about grief not governing, they're just the things that I want to ask you guys is, are there ways that you're feeling governed by your grief, your sadness, your sorrow, or your loss? And so there's a very real reality of what, um, for many of you, your 24-hour period looks like right now. Um, maybe you are in a season where you're not using your gifts like you used to. Uh, maybe you're in a season where the monotony of every day and the lack of being able to accomplish something is really eating at you. Or maybe you're in a place where every time you're nursing, you're looking at Instagram, and so as you're here trapped in the seat, you're seeing how great everybody else in the world is doing. And you're seeing people who have platforms who are showing you the best parts of their life while you're doing something that is incredibly 
holy. It is holy. And so I just, the last thing that I kind of want to do this morning is just raise the value of that holiness. That if you are in a season um, where you don't have the platform that you once had or you feel like you could have been in a better place, um, you're pump, waking up early to pump extra breast milk because you've got to go to work that day and your baby's in a growth spurt. Like, if you continue to compare yourself to what's going on outside of you, it is going to make you bitter and it's going to make you resentful. And I just, I just pray that we would be set free from that because y'all know comparison is the thief of joy. Um, and so lastly, the thing about grief is that godly grief will one day be redeemed in glory. Can I get an amen? One day, godly grief will be redeemed in glory. So we're going to go back real quick to 2 Corinthians 4. For this light and momentary affliction, verse 17, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How did Paul have that hope? Like we said at the beginning, Paul had that hope because he had a real view of heaven, that heaven awaits He knew one day all of his needs would be met, all of his disappointments would be desecrated, all of his longings would be fulfilled. And so in order to do these hard things in life and to walk through them, I'm going to tell you three things. We need to really understand what heaven is, we need to understand what heaven is not, and we need to dwell on that consistently, what it will one day be like to be there. So I'm going to say that again because I forgot to put it on the slides. We need to know what heaven is. So all you have to do to know what heaven is, man, I read this this morning. I teared up all over again. Go to Revelation 21 and just read it and let it soak in. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven with God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, Anymore, for the former things have passed away, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then he goes on to describe what it would look like. And whether it's hyperbole or specific, you know, commentaries disagree. I don't know. I kind of want to see jade on a gate, you know. And so I, jasper and pure gold and foundations of the wall in the city. So no matter what it is, immerse yourself in the beauty of what will one day be your home. Will you do that? And to do that, you've got to think about what heaven is. What heaven is, is a place where, I don't know about you guys, this will kind of move into what heaven is not. I thought when I was little that heaven would be this, we've got our arms around each other, and we're kind of all singing kumbaya. And you know that point in a worship set where you're like, oh, this is my moment, this is my zenith, I feel so close to the Lord. But then there's like three more songs. And so you're a little emotionally spent now at this point. And you're like, okay, no, I can get, I can get into it again. Y'all may not experience this, but I do. Where I'm like, okay, no, I can get into it again. I'm like, nope, I'm already spent. And so I kind of thought heaven would eventually get boring because I didn't understand what it was and what we were going to do there. Y'all, do you know that you are going to have all of the same gifts that you have today? You will have in heaven. 
my sister-in-law will still be the most organized person I've ever known in my life. And she is going to be a benefit to the kingdom and the glory of God. You're just going to be able to execute on your gifts without the pain of sin being in the way. Did you know that work is not a part of the fall? Work is something that was instated by God. We will work in heaven. Heaven is going to look a lot like here, but better because there's not going to be any sin in our way. And I can't freaking wait. I say all the time to my kids, we want a proper view of death in our family. So we say last one's a rotten egg. I am not encouraging any kind of bad behavior, but I am, I am saying we don't need to be scared of death. We don't need to be scared of heaven because if we believe one day everything will make sense. Every single question that you have now will have a resounding answer. Maybe not in the moment you get there because guess what? We'll get to keep learning in heaven. You don't get to heaven and all of a sudden know the answer to every question you ever had. But guess what? You have an eternity to keep learning about it. I can't wait. I can't wait until I can sit at the throne. I ask my kids all the time, what's the first thing you're going to ask Jesus when you see him? Ask your kids that. It's so fun to hear their answers. And it's so their personalities too. My middleborn, she is a hoot and a half. She, she will say, I think I'm going to give him a big hug and then I'm going to ask him to give me a cookie. And I'm like, that is so honest and so indicative of your trust in the Lord that you know that his heart would be to give you a cookie the moment you get to heaven. We'll get to ask all of those questions. So we want to understand what heaven is. We want to understand what it's not. It's not an eternal kumbaya fest. And then we want to dwell on that consistently because one day our grief will be redeemed. We'll know why we grieved. And we'll be able to live inside of our gifts. And so... Um, just sharing, lastly, practical tips of things that I've done as I first walk through a season of grief poorly. Um, some of the things that have helped me. Um, I'm just going to list them out. Uh, the Calm app. It's the best $79 I've ever spent. I love it. Um, dwell. Scripture read aloud. Um, scripture memory. There's, I think, an app literally called Scripture Memory. It's real real deep. Um, but you can organize your ca own categories. So I have some called grief. I have some called the fight. I have some called discipline because um, I lose note cards. So I keep it in my phone. Um, breath prayer has been a really huge benefit to me as I've walked through grief. grief. So all breath prayer is um, when I breathe in, I say one thing. And I, when I breathe out, I say another thing. And that's it. And I do it over and over and over again. So this morning it was, Jesus, I feel not enough, breathing out, Jesus, you are enough, over and over again. Jesus, I feel not enough, Jesus, you are enough, and making that a meditation. Um, there's many of these things that are in our collective journal, and honestly, y'all, that was sweet of Martha. We didn't bring our stuff here so you could like our merch. We believe in what we're doing, and we brought our journals so that if you, have, uh, if you don't have a study that you're doing over the summer, it's really good, and it's got... Um, prayer in there. It's got how to, how to design a prayer wall, how to fight for your people. It's got liturgy in it. It's got some weeks you just meditate over hymns. And so it's a little bit more light compared to what most of us are doing during the year. Um, so if you're interested in it, we'd love to have you have one at cost, but um, we want you to know the love and the hope of God, and we want you to continue to be blessed by that. So the last one that's been a huge um, blessing to me, and I'm going to ask you all to trust me just a little bit, 
um, has been listening prayer. And we're just going to end our time this morning with me just by doing a short listening prayer activity. And so um, we're going to dim the lights. We're going to kind of put some music on. And if, if you will give me your trust, what I'm just going to do is I'm going to ask you a series of prompted questions. And all you need to do is, is write down an impression you feel, a scripture you feel like you need to look up later, um, or a question that God brings to your heart. This is not a time where God is going to be audibly speaking to you. This is a time um, where he may impress something upon your heart, though. And so if you're not comfortable doing it, look up some scripture in the Bible um, while we're doing it. We're just going to spend a few minutes doing this listening prayer activity together, okay? So if everybody would just close their eyes, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come into this place knowing that in your word, you speak to us in so many different ways. God, and so as we just slow down our breathing a little bit, and um, not in a silly yoga way, but we become just aware of our bodies and our breath in and out, and we acknowledge, King Jesus, that you're the giver of our breath. And we thank you, God, for breath that goes in and out. So just as we continue to be with the Lord, I want you to think about the favorite room that you have in your house. Where's your favorite room? And I want you to just picture it for a minute. And it's not dirty. <laughs> it's all clean. <clears throat> There's no projects left undone. What does it smell like in your house? And just take a seat in the favorite room in your house. And as you sit down in your favorite seat of your favorite room in your house, I want you to think about all the resentments that you carry, all the sadness, the frustration and sorrow Everything that has gone on in your life, picture it in a, in a box. Think about what does the box look like? What does it feel like? Is it heavy? Is it light? And I want you to open that box up. And in that box are the things that have discouraged you or disheartened you lately. Maybe a friend who's hurt you a baby who's been struggling, gifts that aren't being used, feeling of being looked over, can't keep up. You don't get to live near your family. Whatever's in there, everything that's carried, I want you to pick one thing out of the box. Just pick one thing and pick it up and think about it. And as you think about your thing, I want you to picture um, walking through the door as Jesus. And he just stands at the door for a minute and looks at you. How does that make you feel? And he takes a few steps inside the door, and you know what he does? He just smiles. And as he walks further in, he comes to the table and he sits down with you or your seat near you. And he just extends out his hands. 
and think about how you feel as he's extending out his hands asking you to give him the thing that's in the box. And so as you give him the thing that you're carrying, he takes it in his hands and he sits with it. And as you think and as you pray, what happens? Does he do anything with it? Does he bring any scripture to your mind? And then towards the end, he just leans in and he hugs you. And as he hugs you, he just, picture what it would be like if he just whispered something in your ear. What does he whisper? And he gives you one more smile and he walks up and he takes, he gets up and he takes the thing that you gave him with him. How do you feel? Holy Father, you are a God who cares deeply about our grief. And not only do you care about our grief, you long for us to put our burdens on you because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So I pray this morning, God, that we would lay whatever we carry down, that we would let you hold it for us, and that we would be then able to run with endurance the race set before us. King Jesus, I thank you for these mamas. I thank you for the way that you have equipped them, you have gifted them specifically, you see them, you will not leave them or forsake them. You are powerful and righteous and good. And God, though bad things happen, we choose to believe that the King of Kings remains good. So God, it is for your name and your renown that is the desire of our souls that we continue to walk. And it is for your glory that we continue to run. And it is in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. And all of God's women said, amen. That may be new for some of you. It might be scary for some of you. That's okay. Um, I would love for y'all just to spend the last part of your time, if you're comfortable, sharing, um, sharing what you learned, sharing what God impressed on your heart. I love you guys. I'm so thankful to get to be here. Um, don't give up because God cares about your grief. Love y'all.